You're listening to the audio ministries of First Baptist Church of Troy, Texas. You're invited to join us for live and in-person morning worship every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. Visit fbctroytx.org for a list of our activity times and family-centered community ministries. Now here's today's message. We are going, it's a beautiful day, isn't it out there? I think it is. Like I said, there are clouds out there, which means there's moisture. They say it's going to rain sometime between now and the end of the year. I'm trusting that. And so we'll just have a, uh, we'll just pray and thank God for that. You know, God's going to bring the rain when he's ready for us to have it. Until then, we need to learn whatever it is we need to learn from this. But uh, we're going to continue on with Christ in the Old Testament as we have, are going through the Old Testament. Some may not know that we're going through the Old Testament. We're finding where Christ is in each of the Old Testament books. You will find Christ in every one of the Old Testament books because all the Old Testament points to Jesus. The whole Bible, all of Scripture points to Jesus. And uh, sometimes folks think that the Old Testament is just, well, it's back there, it's not relevant. It is as relevant today as it was back then. After all, Jesus taught from the Old Testament. The disciples, when they were bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, which testament was it that they were using? The Old Testament. That's what they had. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. So you can bring someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ just through the Old Testament because the Old Testament points to Jesus. And so we're going to be in the book of Joel. But as you are in Joel, uh, I'm going to ask if you will turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. They might say, now wait a minute, I thought we were in Joel. We are, but this is where we're jumping off. It'll make sense down the line, okay, folks? Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, and this is the disciples coming together with Jesus, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After He had said this, He was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while He was going... They were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Remember that, folks, as we look at this book of Joel. The book of Joel is among the minor prophets of the Bible. And as I've stated before, that does not mean that it is of least importance. That doesn't mean that at all. Uh, But it's in reference to its shortness. Joel is only three chapters long. So a minor, major prophets, they got a lot of chapters. Minor have very few. And, And quite honestly, we really know very little about the one who wrote this book. We know very little about Joel. We do know that his name means Yahweh is God. 
We know that. We know that he is the son of Pethuel, which means persuaded by God. We know that. But that's pretty well it. Uh, he does not appear to be a famous person. And no other Old Testament book mentions this man, Joel. So, quite honestly, it's hard to pin down the date that he lived, the date that this was written. As I was looking and trying to find out a good date for it, I found that the dates ranged anywhere from uh, about between 870 and late 400 B.C. That's about 400 years. That's a long time to try to figure out when someone lived. Uh, so somewhere in that span of 400 plus years, Joel lived. Now I personally, from what I've seen and what I've studied, I lean towards about 830 B.C. time period, give or take a few years. That's where I kind of think. But I think that uh, theologian John Calvin said it best when it came to trying to date Joel. He said this, as there is no certainty, it is better to leave the time in which Joel taught undecided, and as we shall see, this is of no great importance. And really, he's correct. It is not important that time period in which he taught, in which he lived. It's what he wrote that's important. His prophecy also seems to be a one-time instance and not over a lifetime, such as Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and some of the other prophets had. Uh, but just because Joel may not have been considered famous in his day, just because we don't know much about him, God chose him to deliver a very important message. Joel wrote to warn his audience that... A coming day, a day was coming in which God would judge his people. And we see in his message, the message of Joel, we see Jesus. We find Christ. First of all, we find Christ, we see his presence. We see his presence here in Joel. And again, you may say, now wait a minute, wait a minute, Harlan. <laughs> there's no, I, I can read Joel and there's no mention of Jesus or the word Christ in it. And I'd say you are absolutely right, but you're wrong. Okay? Joel 2, 14. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him so you can offer grain and wine to the Lord your God. As you read Joel, you will see the word God or the phrase, the Lord your God, or the Lord my God. And if you notice, if you'll look in, and I did not get it, it did not translate up there the way when I copied and pasted it, didn't translate up there the way it should have, but if you'll look in your translations, most likely the word Lord is in all caps. It's in all caps. Okay, if you'll remember, this tells us that, the that this is the covenant name of God, which is Yahweh. That's what's being used. If you see the word in all caps, you know that is Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. The word God that's being used in the text, everywhere you find the word God in Joel, if you go to the Hebrew, it is the word Elohim, or a form of Elohim. 
Now, if you remember from Genesis and some of our previous studies of the Old Testament, Elohim means God, but Elohim is also what? Plural. Elohim is plural. There is but one God. But in Elohim, we see the Trinity. The Trinity. And who is a part of the Trinity? Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here we find, whether Joel knew it or not, we find the presence of Jesus. Elohim. So as Joel speaks of God, Elohim, we see the presence of Jesus. Again, remember what we looked at in Genesis. In the beginning, God. And God was Elohim. And that shows us again the Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because Jesus has always been, because Jesus is God, right. So we see the presence of Jesus there. But as you go through Joel, one of the things that you're definitely going to see and you can't miss is you're going to see his day. You're going to see his day. In Joel, we find the term, the day of the Lord. In fact, you find it mentioned at least once in every chapter, in all three chapters. In chapter 1, it says, Woe, because of that day, for the day of the Lord is near and will come as devastation from the Almighty. In chapter 2, Blow the horn in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain, let all the residents of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near. And then multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. That's in chapter 3. Those are just three places that, uh, uh, that we have looked at there. But there are others that you can find. But I won't show you. In each chapter, you will see that. And what is happening here, if you look at Joel and you see what's going on, you realize that, that the nation of Judah is in crisis. There's a crisis going on. Their crops are being wiped out, and we don't know. We really can't tell from his writing, but it's either being wiped out by insects or by an invading army or by both. But their crops are being wiped out. And what crops are harvested, the grain is bad. So they really haven't, aren't getting anything. Even their flocks, even their sheep didn't have enough to eat. And Judah being an agricultural society, this was a crisis. If you don't have crops being grown, if your flocks are dying because of lack of feed, you got a problem. I was just listening on the news uh, before we came how farmers are selling all their cattle because there's nothing for them to eat. It's a crisis that's there that we're going to be paying for later. Well, Judah was paying for this at this time. This was a, they had nothing to eat. There was a problem. And we find out through Joel that this was God's punishment because the people were living idolatrous and rebellious lives. They had quit following God. And... and and we find out also in Joel, if the crisis wasn't bad enough, God through Joel is issuing a warning. The warning was, the day of the Lord is near. Basically, Joel is saying, man, if you think this is bad, <laughs> this is nothing compared to the day that's about to come. The day of the Lord is near. 
Many times in, in prophecy, we find dual meanings, and I, I truly believe that we find it here. They were suffering from the Lord's judgment. They said, man, this is not day of the Lord. Man, we're suffering here. But His ultimate judgment is coming. That's what Joel is saying here. Bas uh, 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 the day of the Lord is coming. Now, the day of the Lord, man, does that sound familiar to you? About the times and the seasons, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's Paul stating that, right? That's New Testament. And then in 2 Peter, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. The day of the Lord that they are talking about here, the day of the Lord that Joel was talking about here and did not know the fullness of it is the second coming of Jesus. So the day of the Lord is about Jesus. Remember, the angels told the disciples in Acts that as they saw Jesus disappear, going up in the clouds, right, they would see Him come again. He went up in the clouds, and He's coming back in the clouds. John writes about this. Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and He judges and makes war and righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on His head. He had a name written that no one knows except Himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and His name is the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed Him on white horses, wearing pure white linen, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the furious anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is the day of the Lord. This is Jesus coming again. But this time, he's not coming as a little innocent baby, but he's coming as a warrior king. Joel is writing about the day of the Lord. In writing about it, he's writing ultimately about the second coming of Jesus. The day of the Lord. And you know, the day of the Lord, when that day comes, it's not going to be a glorious day for everybody. It's not. Because in Joel, we see the work of Christ. We see His work. Look at this. Whose revelation are we reading here? The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave Him uh, to show His servants that, uh, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John, who testified to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Whose revelation are we reading? Is it John's revelation? No, it's Jesus' revelation. It's Jesus' revelation to us through the writings of John. So keep that in mind. All of this that we are looking at is from Jesus. It's from Jesus. And the parallel between Joel and Revelation is absolutely amazing. 
In both, you see salvation and sovereignty. In both, you will see redeeming and reaping. In fact, in the book of Revelations, verses from every chapter of Joel are referenced. Twelve times, Revelation references verses in Joel. Twelve times. That's a lot for a three-chapter book. In Joel, as well as Revelation, we see that the day of the Lord brings reaping. Part of the work that we see, the work of Christ, and that is reaping. Joel speaks of the reaping of people. In Joel 3.13, swing the sickle because the harvest is ripe. At the harvest time, workers come, right? And they bring the sickle against the crop. And do you know what? And I, this didn't dawn on me till I was reading, uh, reading about it and reading about harvesting with sickle. A sickle does not discriminate what it cuts down. You take that sickle and you swing it and everything in its path comes down, right? You get the good, you get the bad. You get crops, you get weeds, you get everything. And then what they do is they separate the crop from the weeds. Part of Jesus' work is reaping. Then I looked, and there was a white cloud. And one like the Son of Man was seated on the cloud with a gold crown on his head and a sharp, what? Sickle, yeah, in his hand. Another angel came out of the sanctuary, uh, crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud, use your sickle and reap. For the time to reap has come, since the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the one seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Wow. Joel speaks of one who will swing the sickle and harvest the earth. Who is that one? Jesus. Jesus. And the whole earth will be harvested. Now let me say this. This prophecy is not for the church. This prophecy is not for the church. Why? We're going to be gone. We'll be raptured. We're raptured. We don't have to worry about this, folks. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about this. This prophecy is for those who have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that includes the Jews right? They have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior yet. God is going to fulfill his covenant to Abraham. As soon as the church is raptured, those who have accepted, which is, are those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God starts that final process of fulfilling his covenant pros, uh, uh, promise to Abraham. And those that will be going through the great tribulation will be unbelievers and, and those who have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, which includes the Jews. This is the separating of, of, the, of the crop and the, and the weeds and the separation. And just as the crop was separated from the weeds after they were harvested by the sickle, those who have repented will be separated from those who have not. There will be folks who will come to know during that period Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They will realize who He is. There will be Jews who will come to know. This is their time to come to know Jesus. 
Joel tells the Jewish people that they need to get ready for this great harvest of souls. And he lets them know that the heart of God wants to redeem them and not destroy them. God wants to redeem them. This is why Joel was written, so that they could be redeemed. That's what God wants. And he tells them how to do it. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart. Remember, they have wandered away from God. They have started living the way they want to. They've been idolatrous. They've been rebellious. And God says, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to your God. Return to your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Again, God doesn't want disaster to befall them. He wants them to repent. And then in Joel 2.32, Then everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved, for there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as the Lord promised among the survivors, the Lord calls. Joel says, here's how. Here's how you're saved. Here's how you can be part of the redeemed. This is it. If you want to be redeemed, here it is. For everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. That's in the Old Testament. That's in Joel. And you know what, folks? Even as God uh, then did not want people to have to suffer and, and go and, and be destroyed, He wanted them to be redeemed. He wants them to be redeemed now. He calls on us to repent so that we might be redeemed. Which brings us to the verse that I use a lot of times and leading people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, which should sound a little familiar to this one. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's in Romans. What scripture is Paul quoting? He's quoting Joel 2.32. The same person who inspired Joel to pen Joel 2.32 is the same person who inspired Paul to pen these same words in Romans 10.13. And that person was Jesus. Jesus. You see, the work of Jesus is to reap and it's to redeem. That's His work. That is what we see. Jesus came for that. And He's coming to reap. He's coming to redeem. And He has come on the cross to redeem. We also see Jesus in another way. We see him in his desire. In his desire. You see, Jesus' desire is for the redemption of mankind. That's what he desired uh, in warning the Jews of, of Joel's day and, uh, that a day of redeeming, uh, I mean of reaping was coming. 
And, and what he desires for you and for me when he went to the cross was to show how far he was going to go to redeem mankind. In Joel, we see this imprint of Jesus in, these, in his desires, in God's desires. Announce a sacred fast. Proclaim an assembly. Gather the elders and all the residents of the land at the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Why is God asking them to call a sacred assembly? So they will repent. That's the whole idea. So they would repent. And when they've repented, they then could look forward to his redeeming and not his reaping. They could look forward to the redeeming and not the reaping. In Joel 3, 17, we find, Then you will know that I am Yahweh your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy and foreigners will never overrun it again. In that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the streams of Judah will flow with water, and the spring will issue from the Lord's house, watering the valley of Acacias. Joel is telling the people that God wants them to look forward to his redeeming by repenting of their sins. That's what he wants them to do. That's his desire. And folks, you know, as I thought about this, isn't that what worship is all about? That's really what worship is. It's a time for us to repent and then worship in a forward-looking way at God's redeeming. After we have repented, we shouldn't be looking back at our sins, but instead we should be looking forward to God's redemption, to at that time when Jesus takes us to be with Him. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Remember this guy came to Jesus and he said, Man, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I need to go do this, I need to go do that. And that Jesus, that's when he said, Hey, no, you're looking back. You see, after we have repented of our sins, after we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are to live looking forward to God's redemption. We're to live looking forward to heaven and not back at our sins, that, that those, the sins that have been completely, absolutely, totally forgiven by God. God has chosen to know them no more. That's what Scripture tells us, right? The writer of Hebrews says this, For by that one offering He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is my new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Do you know how long never again is? It's a long time. It's forever. It's eternity. It's eternity. We're to look forward to our redemption not back at our sins, because looking back at our sins doesn't do us any good. Looking forward to our redemption. 
And as I thought about that, I also believe that we should look forward to every worship opportunity we have now. Because every worship opportunity is another chance to look forward to our redemption in heaven and praise God for it. It helps us keep our eyes off our past sins and forward to our future with Jesus because of what He did for us on the cross. That's why we're here. We're here to worship Him for what He did. We're here to worship Him because if this is the last breath we take, where are we going to be? We're going to be with Jesus. If we're believers, we're going to be with Him. That's why we're here. This is what we're celebrating. Again, remember, I've said this before, but say, I, I, it bears repeating because, folks, we need to understand this. If you are a believer and you go, man, my life here is bad, my life here is this. Well, if you're a believer, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. But if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, i got news for you. This is as close to heaven as you're going to get. And this ain't much of a heaven. We're here to celebrate the redemption of Jesus in our lives. And we're to look forward to worship. And we're to look forward to heaven. That's what we're to do. So in Joel, we see how it's God's desire for us to repent and to live our lives looking forward towards our redemption. And in that desire for us to know His redemption, we see an imprint of Jesus. Because it is only, only, only through Jesus that our redemption is found. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to redemption. And his name is Jesus. That's it. Through the book of Joel, we find Christ. Read this wonderful book. Yes, it's a lot to go through. It's kind of depressing at times. But read it looking for Jesus, and you will find him. You will find him. And, and through this book, we see that even though Joel was looking at a crisis, he kept his focus on what was important, the redemption of God. That was the hope that was going to get him through the crisis. What's going to get you through the crisis in your life? The redemption of Christ. That's our hope. That's saying it's true for us. I mean, we don't have to worry about the reaping because we have redemption to look forward to. That's wonderful. That's hope. So let me urge you in whatever crisis you might be going through right now or whatever crisis you may find yourself going through in the future, look past the crises, look past the problems and see Jesus, our Redeemer, our hope. Look past the crises. Look forward to your redemption that is coming. And it's coming if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, I won't say this. Today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus because you've never repented of your sins, you've never made Him your Lord and Savior, man, you can do that today. You can. So that your future is that of redemption and not that of reaping. Remember, in the same way He ascended, He's coming again, but this time as a warrior king to reap. 
And trust me, you don't want to be a part of the reaping process. So all you have to do is say, okay, man, what do I got to do? Just this, simple prayer. You're not praying it to me. You're not praying it to yourself. You're praying it to Jesus. In your heart, just pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Today, I'm asking you to be my Lord, my Savior. Today, I'm giving my life to you. And today, I'm trusting in you for my eternity. I'm trusting in you for my redemption. From this day forward, I'm following you to the best of my ability. And everything I have is yours. If you'll pray that prayer or something like it, again, you say, well, I didn't get all the words. That's okay. Words don't save you. It's the heart. Do you really mean it? Remember you said tear the heart, right? It's from the heart that you pray that. If you pray that, I promise you, according to God's word, you don't have to worry about reaping. You get, get to rejoice in the redemption. Redeem. And we invite you during our invitation time, if you prayed that prayer, just slip out in the aisle, come forward, take me by the hand, say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer. We will celebrate with you because you're now part of the family. You're now part of the redeemed. You're going to be with us one day. What a day that's going to be. If you're here and you're a believer, I want to ask you this question. Are you living life looking forward to your redemption or are you living your life looking back at your sins that God has chosen to know no more. And if God has chosen to know them no more, why the heck do you choose to know them? Forget them. God has. Get on. Look forward to redemption. Look forward to living for Jesus. Look forward to your future. You may be here today and the Lord says, man, I want you to be a part of this church. Be a part of this church family. We'd invite you also during our invitation time to come and just take our hands and say, man, I want to be a part of this church. I want to be a part of what God's doing here. Man, we'd love to have you come because you're going to help make us a better church. Because God's leading you here because of gifts and talents that you have. And hopefully we can make you a better believer. I do want to say, dear Christian friend, if you, you may need to come to this altar and just Give it to God and say, God, help me to look forward and not back. All I know is this, is that as believers, we've got redemption coming. We need to be living that way. We need to be living that way. May we as believers continually look forward to every opportunity to worship so that we might look forward to and praise God for our redemption. That's why we're here today. I hope that's why you're here. If you don't, but again, if you don't know that redemption, man, would you please pray and come to know it by knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me ask you to bow your heads in prayer. I just want to give you a short time, maybe for someone here to pray that prayer of salvation, the prayer of redemption, so that you'll know that you never have to worry about the reaping process. You've got redemption in your future. Did you pray that prayer?
If you prayed that prayer, then again, we invite you to step out and come forward. Publicly proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord. Scripture again says that if we do not acknowledge him in, before man, he's going to be ashamed of us before the Father. That means there's no such thing as a secret Christian. We live publicly for him. Believer, maybe you need to come forward and just kneel your knee at the altar and ask God to help you keep that forward look at your redemption and quit looking back at sins. Satan wants you to look back because you can't do anything looking back. That's how he wants to keep you living. Today, quit looking at the rearview mirror and start looking forward, forward to what God has planned for you. And again, maybe there's other decisions that you have in your life, a church membership, or maybe there's something else God's put on your heart and you'd like someone to pray for you or with you, I'd be happy to, you just come. All I know is this, God has a decision He wants people to make. And that person may be you. Will you make it for Him, for His glory? Don't walk out of here doing nothing for Him. You come if the Lord leads. Father God, thank you for this book of Joel. Lord, for the challenges it gives us, and Lord, for the truths it shares, and Lord, especially how we see that, Lord, as believers, one day we will be redeemed. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, for decisions that need to be made. Lord, I just lay them at your feet. Father, I pray that that, Lord, that folks whose hearts you are touching would say yes to whatever you're calling them to do and that they would do it for you, for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'd like to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear our latest message. Do us a favor and send an email to outreach at fbctroytx.org to let us know that you heard us and what you thought of the message. Remember to visit fbctroytx.org to learn more about how we support our local community. Again, thank you for listening.